0: All right. Well, welcome out to Grace here at the Medina East Campus as we're continuing together in a series uh, that we started now probably about four weeks ago that we've been calling Jesus Come and See. And so if you're just kind of joining us or you're a guest with us here uh, this morning at Grace, just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being our guest. And we hope that you feel welcome because you are welcome. Uh, My name is Tony. I am one of the pastors here on staff at Grace. And if we haven't had a chance to meet, I would actually really love to do that. And so stop me in the cafe afterwards and Love to hear your story, how you got connected. But if you are just kind of joining us, like I said, we're continuing in a series we've been in uh, called Jesus Come and See. And the series, probably the best way to think of it, we said is it's actually kind of like a big invitation. Uh, It is an invitation to everybody regardless of where you might be in your faith journey, to come and see Jesus. Whether you follow Jesus or whether you're investigating Jesus, we said it's an invitation for everyone to come and see Jesus for yourself, Uh, to come and look at his teaching, to come and observe his life, to come and think through the things that he said and the things that he did, and to really grapple with those things for yourself. And uh, the reason we we said that we thought this series is so important is because we kind of made this observation. We said that everybody in our society, and I think it's probably safe to say this, that everybody, at least in our society, we all sort of begin our perception of Jesus with what we call a hand-me-down version. Right, And what we meant by that was all of us begin our understanding, begin our perception of who Jesus is, based off of what someone else has told us. And so maybe for you, for example, you were handed down a version of Jesus from your parents. Maybe you grew up in a church or whatever, or maybe you were part of a religious community, and that religious community handed you down a version of Jesus. Uh, Maybe for you, you didn't grow up in the church, and maybe for you, your perception of Jesus was handed to you from the media or was handed to you from a friend or from a family member that you had or whatever it might be. And for better or for worse, we said all of us kind of start there with Jesus. Our perception of Jesus is painted by the presentation of others. And here's what we said. We said, while that's true for all of us, we can't stop there. While it's true that all of us begin with a hand-me-down version of Jesus, we can't stop there. Uh, We need to go on, and there is a need to come and see. Uh, There is a need to actually investigate, look into, and think through these things for yourself. And so that's what this whole series is about. It's us coming to Jesus. It's looking at his teachings, the things that he said. It's looking at his life, the things that he did. And we're kind of grappling through those things together. Now, the way we're doing this, you might remember if you were here a few weeks ago, is we're actually working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, here's what we said. We said the Gospel of Matthew is actually much, much more than just simply a book of the Bible. Uh, We said that the Gospel of Matthew is actually one of the earliest first century eyewitness accounts to the life of Jesus that we have in our possession. And so Matthew was a guy who would have known Jesus he was actually a disciple of Jesus, so he would have walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. He would have heard Jesus teach. He would have observed his actions. And we are told that he wrote those things down, that he documented the life and the teaching of Jesus. And so Matthew is actually a historical document. It is a early, one of the earliest first century eyewitness account, accounts of the life of Jesus that we possess. And so what we're doing is we're observing that, looking through that together together, and we're coming and seeing Jesus through this process. Now, if you missed any of the previous talks in this series, by the way, I would encourage you to go back. You can listen to those and watch those. That might be to your advantage. So you can grab those on our podcast, our app and our website. All of those platforms are free. And we'd love for you to take advantage of that. But today, as we continue kind of on this journey, as we continue to come and see Jesus, uh, we're gonna find ourselves in Matthew chapter eight. And so I wanna invite you, I want you you grab your Bible and we're gonna go ahead and flip together To Matthew chapter 8. So this is where we're going to be spending the rest of our time together this morning. Is in Matthew chapter 8. Now if you uh, didn't bring a Bible here yourself or if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, uh, feel free to make use of one of our Bibles. Uh, That's absolutely no problem. Underneath our chairs you'll find these black Bibles. And if you grab those, page 680 is where you're going to find Matthew chapter 8. And let me say that if you're a guest with us this morning, and you don't own, like physically own a copy of the Bible, we so want you to have one that we'd encourage you just to take one of ours. And you can take that home and write your name in it and read it, and we would love that. So Matthew 8 is where we're going to go. Now, as you're locating and finding Matthew chapter 8, I was preparing uh, this talk over the past few weeks, and as I was preparing, I was reminded of of a television show That my guess is all of us are probably somewhat familiar with it was really famous about five or six years ago it's called undercover boss and you guys remember the show So, a real popular show in fact it won some emmys and the premise of the show is really really interesting it's a very simple premise but it's a really fascinating premise and basically if you've never seen undercover boss here's the big idea so the idea is uh, they basically identify big corporations and organizations across the country And then they ask the CEOs, right? They ask the the, the chief executive officers to go undercover in their organizations. And so they they kind of dress them up in disguises, and then the CEOs go and work amongst kind of the minimum wage working class within their organization. It's a really fascinating idea, and and if you've ever seen the show, you know it's entertaining for a lot of different reasons uh, to watch it. But probably uh, on the show Undercover Boss, the most popular show in its entire existence Um, was that of um, a guy named Mitch Modell. It starred a guy named Mitch Modell. This is Mitch Modell right here. He is the CEO of Modell Sporting Goods, very, very large organization. And of course, he is the CEO of that organization. And they asked him if he'd be willing to go undercover. And so he did that. And so they had to dress him up incognito. Actually, this was his disguise. I'll show you a picture of it. They had him shave his head and all that kind of thing. And, uh, And he went in and worked amongst kind of some minimum wage employees at his different sporting goods stores. And what he found um, was very surprising to him. And what he discovered was that as he worked with some of these people, uh, that he found that these were some very, some of his employees were very, very hard working employees who were underpaid and underappreciated. And so he found that to be true about several employees. He also found the opposite of other employees. He found that they were overpaid and that they were being lazy or whatever it might be. And so, of course, if you've ever seen Undercover Boss, you know that the best part of the show is at the end when they do the reveal, right? When the CEO reveals him or herself as the CEO of the company. And for some people in the organization, it's a joy, and for some people, it's a nightmare, right? Depending on, wh- on, on how you interacted with that person. And so when Mitch Modell reveals himself, uh, we actually find a couple things. We find that he gives to some of his employees We find him giving promotions, giving raises, giving paid vacations to some people. We also see him uh, threatening other people's jobs, telling them that their job is in jeopardy if they don't get their act together. But probably the most memorable scene in the entire existence of the show is when Mitch Modell revealed himself to a young girl named uh, Angel. And so there's this story, as Mitch Modell was undercover, uh, he interacted with one of his minimum wage employees, her name was Angel, And she was a very, very optimistic, positive person, hard, hard, hard worker. And yet when he got into a conversation with her, he found that through a set of unfortunate circumstances that she was in a a situation where she was homeless. And so she and her three kids were living at a homeless shelter. Uh, She had gotten this job to try her best to make ends meet. And she was sharing this story with her undercover boss, not knowing who he was. And, uh, and it was just a really sad story, but yet she had this spirit of optimism and she had this, this hardworking kind of energy about her. And so when Mitch Modell revealed himself to her as the CEO, it was a very emotional moment because he kind of went on to praise her. He said, you are exactly the kind of person this organization is looking for. Your positive spirit, your hard work, your ethic is, 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 is inspiring. And Mitch Modell went on to promote her to management, gave her a very significant raise, gave her paid vacation, and then he went on to say, and about your living situation, he said, I never want you to live in that circumstance again. And so he pulled out his checkbook, and he penned her a check for $250,000. And uh, man, I'll tell you, if you haven't seen this 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 episode, or if you haven't seen that moment, it's a very emotional scene. In fact, I'd encourage you to YouTube it. Um, not right now, preferably. <laughs> but uh, it's really awesome to see it. But this whole, the whole show, the whole premise of undercover boss, I actually thought it was really cool. When I first saw it, I thought to myself, man, this is such a cool story because here you have the chief executive officer, the person who has the most authority in the organization and they're incognito and nobody knows that it's them. And at the end of the show, what you see is you see that they reveal themselves for who they are, and they begin to change people's realities. They begin to change people's destinies. And I know when I watched that show, the first thing that I thought is probably the same thing that you thought when you watched Undercover Boss, and that's this. I thought to myself, now this is exactly like Matthew chapter 8. Which is precisely what you thought, right? When you watched that and you're like, no, I never thought that. But what am I talking about? Well, this is actually what I want to show us today. I think that what Matthew is inviting us to come and see about Jesus in this passage is actually not that dissimilar from what we see in Undercover Boss. So let me show you what I'm talking about. We're going to start looking at chapter 8 and we're going to begin looking at a little story starting in verse 23. So what we're going to see today is we're actually going to look at a very short little story. It's only a few verses long. But my hope is, my aim is that by the end of our talk today, that you will see that this short little story is actually part of a much bigger story and that Matthew is inviting us to come and see something about Jesus that is deeply significant and has incredible implications. All right, so let's look at it together. Here we go, starting off in verse 23. The Bible says, then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. All right, so time out for a minute. Let me just give you a little context as to what we're reading. So, uh, so far in the Gospel of Matthew, we have found that Jesus has begun his ministry. So Jesus has started his ministry. He's gathered some disciples. So he's got some guys following him. And he's going around and he's teaching and he's preaching and he's healing people and he's doing all kinds of, of very interesting things that are causing people to think different things about Jesus. And the Bible tells us that now he gets into a boat with his disciples, and he's getting ready to cross the Sea of Galilee. So he's preparing to cross this, this, this big lake, the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And notice what happens next, verse twenty-four. The Bible says that suddenly, suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. And so the Bible tells us that apparently, out of nowhere, there's this furious, violent storm that breaks out on the Sea of Galilee. And apparently it's so serious and it's so severe that the Bible says that the waves begin to sweep over top of the boat. Some translations say it began to swamp the boat, right? So kind of threatened to sink it. Now, uh, this is, uh, I think this word right here, the reason I highlighted it suddenly, I think this word is very significant. And I actually think it's very validating. And the reason for that is because um, if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, which I don't know if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee or not, it's actually not really a sea. I don't know why they call it a sea. It's much more like a lake. It's like the size of a lake. But the Lake of Galilee is set up in such a way geographically that to this day it is notoriously and historically known for the sudden storms that will sometimes happen on it. So uh, without getting too much into the details, let me just show you real quick. This is a picture of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee today. This is from a city called Tiberias. Tiberias sits on the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know if you can notice this, but um, the Sea of Galilee, it's very large, but it sits about 600 feet below sea level, very, very low. So you have the Sea of Galilee and it drains into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is about 1,000 feet below sea level. And then up here, I don't know if you can see this in the background, but this is what's called Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is about 9,200 feet above sea level. And so, um, I'm not a meteorologist or anything, but basically uh, what I've heard described is that the geographical setup, this is so low and this is so high that very, very quickly, because of the cold air in the mountains and the warm air in the lower, in in kind of the lower regions, that storms can come very, very, very fast. In fact, I was reading one commentary. I thought it was interesting what they said. They said, to this day, the Sea of Galilee can go from glass-like conditions to six-foot waves in minutes, in minutes. And so when the Bible says that a storm came on suddenly, a furious storm came about, Anyone who knows the Sea of Galilee would have been like, oh yeah, yep, that happens. We have all been there before. And so that's what happens. The Bible says they're on a boat, apparently maybe a little fishing boat, and suddenly this furious all-out storm begins to break out on the Sea of Galilee, so much so that it begins to swamp the boat, starts taking on water. And then watch this next thing. The Bible lets us in on a little detail of what's happening during this story. So watch this next thing in verse 24. The Bible says this. It says, but Jesus, but Jesus was sleeping. Jesus was sleeping. Now this this I think is almost a comical scene when you see it. Here's Jesus and his disciples are on this boat. There's this massive storm, right? The waves are probably six feet or more, crashing onto the boat. I mean you can just imagine the turbulent circumstance they're in. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is asleep. Apparently this was a great time for a nap because Jesus is fast asleep. Uh, Some of the other gospels give us a little more detail. They tell us that Jesus was sleeping in the stern of the ship on a cushion. And my guess is that cushion was probably sopping wet because he was probably sleeping in a puddle by this point. And so the Bible says that the disciples, recognizing that Jesus is asleep, look at verse 25, the disciples went and they woke him up. They went and they woke Jesus up saying, Lord, save us, we're gonna drown. Like how could you sleep right now? Like there's this terrible torrential storm Please wake up, you have to do something because we're gonna die. Now, I want you to, to keep something in mind, by the way, and some of you might know this. Many of Jesus's disciples were uh, fishermen. Many of them were fishermen, which meant that they would have grown up uh, on the boats in on the Sea of Galilee. Many of them, they, their fathers were fishermen. And so these guys were not strangers to the sea. These guys were not strangers to boats. They were not strangers to the Sea of Galilee. And, and these guys who knew a whole lot about sailing. The Bible says that they were terrified. They thought they were going down. So this just shows you the seriousness of the storm, right? And so they wake Jesus up. Man, you gotta do something. How could you sleep right now? And then I want you to notice what Jesus does next. This is, this is just absolutely incredible. Look what Jesus does next. The Bible says, Jesus replied. So apparently he woke up. He replied and he said, you have little faith. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? To which I'm guessing the disciples were like, no reason why we're so scared, except for the fact that you're sleeping in a puddle right now. Like, Did you not see what's going on? But Jesus says, why are you so scared? And then look at this next thing, This this is just so wild. The Bible says, then Jesus got up, he got up, and apparently he walked on deck or something of the boat. And the Bible says that he, now notice this, he rebuked, rebuked the winds and the waves. He rebuked them. And some of you are like, what does that even mean to rebuke the wind and the waves? Well, it's actually kind of fascinating. The word rebuke in the Greek language is also translated punish. It's the idea of, 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 of saying something with a disciplinary tone. In other words, he yelled at it. He yelled at the winds and the waves. You're like, well, what did he yell? Well, it's actually interesting. The gospel of Mark tells us what Jesus would have yelled. So Jesus would have walked out on the deck and here's what he would have said according to Mark. He would have said, quiet be still. That's what Mark says. He goes out and he yells at the winds and the waves. Now, before we look at what happens next, I just want to kind of speculate. This is just my observation. But I can't help but wonder if at this moment, the disciples thought Jesus was crazy. Because Jesus gets up and he yells, and he yells at the wind. He yells at the storm, right? My guess is maybe they thought I don't know, man, maybe Jesus is still kind of groggy, halfway asleep, because he's yelling at the storm like Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump, right? This guy's crazy, what's he doing? And they probably thought he was nuts, like, what is this gonna do? Until the next moment, because look what happens. The Bible says he rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still, and the Bible says, look at this. And then it was completely calm. And it went completely calm. This term, completely calm, also can be translated, some of your translations say, and it was hushed. It was silenced in that moment. And so the Bible says that Jesus comes out, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and the wind and the waves listened to him. Man, can you just imagine, just imagine for a minute what it must have been like to be in this scenario where Jesus would have done something like this. How would you have responded? Well, I want you to notice how the disciples respond. Look at verse 27. The Bible says the men, the disciples, here was their response. They were amazed. They were amazed is what the Bible says. Now, I, I think it's important that I shed a little light on, the, on their reaction because the Bible says that they're amazed. Some of you have different translations. It might say they were astonished. It might say that they wondered. They look at what Jesus did and they were full of wonder. And so there's a lot of different ways you can translate this word amazed. Um, But I think it's helpful for us to know, like when we think of the word amazed, we tend to think of the way we use it in our society is we tend to say things like, oh man, that was amazing. Like we we can imagine the disciples, maybe they were high-fiving each other because they thought this was so awesome what Jesus had done. They were like, wow, that was so cool, Jesus. That was awesome and whatever. But here's what I want you to understand is that I think that it's probably more probable that they weren't high-fiving each other in this moment Uh, In fact, the Gospel of Mark says it this way. The Gospel of Mark says their response was, when they saw this, they were terrified. They were terrified. Luke says, they were full of amazement and fear. And so here's what I think is going on. I think when the Bible says they were amazed, what it means is that, yes, they were awestruck and astonished, but probably more than that, they were scared. They were scared. Because look at the question that they asked. Look at the next, the Bible says they asked this question, what kind of man is this? What kind, of, what kind of human being are we dealing with here that even the winds and the waves obey him? You see, I can't help but wonder if in that moment the disciples had a perception of Jesus. They had an understanding of who they thought Jesus was. And the disciples knew that Jesus was clearly not normal. They knew there was something special about him. But my guess is, is that right there in this moment, everything that they once previously thought about Jesus suddenly became challenged. And I can't help but wonder if this was a dizzying moment for them because all of a sudden they realized that whatever they thought of Jesus, they probably weren't going far enough because they came to realize that they didn't know who they were dealing with or what they were dealing with because they asked the question, who is this? That even the wind and the waves listened to this guy, full of fear and full of amazement at what what had just been done. Here's the question I want us to think through. It's a short little story we have here in Matthew chapter 8. What's the point? What is is Matthew inviting us to come and see about Jesus? What is he inviting us to come and see? Now, let me just say this. I have actually heard over the course of my lifetime a number of people teach on this passage. And I have heard some people say that this passage, this story, is intended to be an allegory. That it didn't actually literally happen. Jesus didn't actually literally quiet the storm. It's just an allegory, it's just a metaphor, it's just a poetic expression for you and I to kind of see, you know, kind of think through what Jesus can do in our lives. And so I've heard people say it, like, oh, it's an allegory. It's like, you know, we all face storms in life. And so we have financial storms and there's relational storms and there's, you know, existential storms. But if you have Jesus in the boat of your heart you'll have peace in the storms of your life, right? And I've heard people say that before. If you got Jesus in the boat, you'll have peace in the storm, Jesus in the... I just made that song up right now, right? <laughs> and I've heard people say that before. And let me, let me just say that if that's the way you understand this passage, if, if that's the way people interpret this passage, that's cute. It's a cute way to interpret it. And while I don't disagree with the sentiment of that, I think to interpret the passage this way is to interpret it as a metaphor, as an allegory, is actually very irresponsible. And here's what I mean by that. So if you're newer here to the Medina East Campus, you maybe have never heard us say this, but we say this often, that whenever you're reading the Bible, you have to remember that context, context determines meaning. It is possible for anyone to go into the Bible, take take a story, take a teaching, rip it out of its context, make it say whatever you want it to say. You can do that, but to do so is not only irresponsible, it's also very dangerous. Very dangerous things in history have happened when people have done that. And so the question is, how, how are we to understand this passage? Well, in order for us to understand, I think what Matthew is trying to communicate to us, you have to look at the context. And what is the context? Okay, well, let me just show you real quick. Let's just start high level context. Okay, so big context. Let me just show you something real quick. So I don't actually, this is gonna be a lot of information. I don't expect you to retain all of this, but let me just show you something. This is the layout of the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, so Matthew, this this first century eyewitness of the life of Jesus, when he wrote the book of Matthew, he arranged it in a particular way. And the way that he arranged it, you'll notice, is that he arranged it around what's, what's called five different discourses. Now, some of you are like, what is a discourse? Well, a discourse is basically a sermon. That's what it is. And so the book of Matthew is all centered around and is arranged around five sermons that Jesus taught. In fact, if you, if you have a red-letter Bible that Jesus' words are in red letters, you'll probably notice this. Like, if you look at chapter 5, 6, and 7 in your Bible, if it's red letters, you'll notice it's like the whole thing is red letters. And why is that? It's because Jesus is preaching. He's the only one talking. But you'll also notice that in between these five sermons in yellow, there's what's called Narratives. In each one of these narratives, what do you see? Well, the narratives are the stories of the things that Jesus did, his interactions, his actions. So you'll notice the way that Matthew has arranged the gospel of Matthew is he is inviting us to come and see what did Jesus say and teach and what did Jesus do? What did he he say? What did he do? What did he say? What did he do? He's inviting us to come and see his actions and his teaching. Now, let me ask you a question. The passage we just read through is Matthew chapter 8. Now, where is that in this this layout? Well, actually, it's right here. It's right in the middle of the second narrative. And here's the question we have to ask. What is the second narrative all about? What is the second narrative all about? And let me just show you. Let me just show you. In fact, if you have your Bible, I'm just gonna give you a high-level overview of this, but just bear with me, because you'll see this in just a second. But I want you to look down at chapter seven. If you got your Bible in front of you, look down at chapter seven, and I want you to look at verse 28 at the beginning of this narrative. All right, take a look at it. Here's what it says. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, so Jesus gets done preaching a sermon. He gets done preaching uh, maybe the most famous sermon he ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. He gets done preaching it and the Bible says the crowds were amazed at his teachings. Now this is so significant. Look what it says. Because he taught as one who had, this is a key word right here, authority. He taught like one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So, so here's what I find fascinating. After Jesus was done preaching, the Bible says the one characteristic that struck the people the most was that Jesus, there was something about his presentation, there was something about his presence that he carried an authority with him. Unlike any other teacher they ever heard, Jesus had authority. And this was the thing that struck them. And here's what I want you to see. I believe that this whole narrative that we're about to see from the end of chapter 7 to the end of chapter 9 is all about the authority of Jesus. You are going to see this word show up over and over again in this passage. It is all about Jesus's authority. What is the authority of Jesus? Now, here's the problem, okay? There's a problem with this word. And the problem is that we live in a society today that many of us, when we see the word authority, we can't help but bristle at it. Like, when I say Jesus has authority, there's some of us that are like, eh, authority. I don't like the way that word feels, and I don't really like In fact, in our culture, the idea of authority oftentimes has negative connotations to it. And part of that's understandable, right? We're Americans. Our whole country is built on a resistance to authority. That's how we started, right? Don't tread on me. That's like the thing we say, like, I don't want your authority. I'm going to figure it out on my own. And so all of us are a little bit American, and we all bristle at this idea of authority, But let me just help you understand, when the Bible says that Jesus has authority, let me just define for you what the Greek definition is of this term. So this actually comes from the New Bible Dictionary. Here's a definition of authority. Authority is the rightful, the rightful, actual, unimpeded power to act, possess, control, or dispose of someone or something. It's this idea of jurisdiction. So it is, I have the right, I have the authority, I have, I, I have the actual power, unimpeded power to act. It's this idea of jurisdiction. Think about the word authority for a second. The word authority is derived from what word? It's derived from author. So an author, the person who created the work, has authority over the work that they've created. That's the whole idea. And this whole passage, what I wanna show you, this whole section is about the authority of Jesus. It's about his jurisdiction, And you're like, well, what is Jesus' jurisdiction? Well, I want you to notice. Look look again, look again at chapter 8. I want you to notice verse 2 of chapter 8. How does it all start? Here's what the Bible says The Bible says that the next thing that happens is there's a man with leprosy who comes to Jesus. Now, some of you know leprosy was, uh, back in this time, it was uh, oftentimes considered a terminal illness. A lot of people wouldn't recover from leprosy. Uh, They didn't have any any solution to leprosy back in this time. So this man with leprosy comes to Jesus. He kneels before him and he says, Lord, if you're willing, can you make me clean? Now watch what happens. The Bible says then Jesus reaches out his hand, touches the man, touches him. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the Bible says he was cleansed of leprosy. All right, so what is this all about? This is trying to tell us about the authority of Jesus. All out miracle, A guy comes to Jesus, he has a terminal illness, and with one touch, the Bible says that he's healed. And then what happens next? Well, I want you to notice, glance down, look at verse 5. The Bible says the very next story in verse 5 is that of a centurion officer. And so there's this guy who's an officer, and he has a servant at home that's paralyzed. He comes to Jesus, he says, Jesus, can you heal my paralyzed servant? And Jesus says, would you like me to come to your house and heal him? And do you remember what the centurion said? This is so significant. Watch this. Here's what the centurion said. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't even deserve to have you come to my house and be under my roof, but you just say the word, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now watch this. He says, for I myself am a man under, tell me, what word is that? I myself am a man under authority and i tell soldiers under me i tell this one go and he goes and i tell this one come and he comes and i say to this servant do this and he does it and you know what jesus says to this guy jesus commends him he says you're exactly right and he says go your servant is healed and the bible says that at that moment that he said it that his that his uh, paralyzed servant who was at home was healed what is this all about Jesus' authority. What is his jurisdiction? The very next passage, what do you see? Look at verse 14. The Bible says that Jesus goes to Peter's house. Watch this. Jesus goes into Peter's house, and he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And so Peter's mother-in-law is out with a fever, and then Jesus touched her hand, just touched her hand, and the Bible says the fever left her immediately, and then she got up, and she began to wait on him. So I'm guessing Jesus came into Peter's house, and he's like, I kind of want a sandwich, but I don't want to make it myself, so maybe I'll just heal her real quick and she can get that for me or whatever, I don't know. You know. That's probably not how it went down, but anyway, right? But you see, what is this all about? What is the level of Jesus's authority? He's just touching people and their diseases are going away. And then what happens after this? Well, some of you might remember, we just read it a second ago. Jesus quiets the wind and the waves. He tells the wind and waves, be quiet, and they listen to him. And then right after that, you see one of the most interesting and fascinating and bizarre stories in all of the New Testament. The Bible tells us in verse 28 that there's these two demon-possessed guys. And the Bible says that they were so violent that people were too scared to even walk past them because they would get roughed up by these two guys. And get this, these two demon-possessed guys, they lived in the cemetery. Doesn't that sound like the stuff of nightmares? It's like a Netflix movie or something. It's terrible. And so the Bible says that Jesus walks past these two demon-possessed guys that everyone is terrified to walk past. And do you know what the demon-possessed guys say when they see Jesus? Look at this, this is nuts. The Bible says they said, what do you want with us, son of God? See what the demons are calling Jesus? What do you want? Why are you here? They shouted, this is have you come here to torture us before our time? Some of you're like what does that even mean? I don't even know. I just know it's not good. It's not good. Right? But like he's like, well, "Are you do you notice this? These two demon possessed guys that everyone is afraid to walk past. When Jesus walks past, they're afraid. They're scared of him. Why are you here? Are you here? Are you here? to give us a beat down before time. And then look what happens next. Verse 30. Some distance from them, there was a large herd of pigs was feeding and the demons begged Jesus, please, Jesus, please let us go into the pigs. They have to ask permission from Jesus. They have to ask him permission. And look what happens. The Bible says that Jesus looks at the demons. One word. Go. Go ahead. Pigs, Go ahead. And the Bible says the demons transferred into the pigs. The pigs ran down the hill, and they were drowned in the water. It was a terrible situation. All that bacon. Bacon debacle, right? It was an awful situation. But what is, what's going on here? What is going on here? And then, you guys see what happens next? Look at chapter 9. Look at your Bible. Look at chapter 9. Verse 2, what do you see? You see some friends who have a friend who's paralyzed. And the Bible says that they take their friend to Jesus. They pick him up and they carry him to Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he says something. He looks at him and he has the audacity to say to this guy, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees get all honked off because they're like, who are you to tell anybody that you can forgive their sins? And you know what Jesus says? Look at this. Jesus said, I want you to know that the son of man has authority to forgive Uh, On earth to forgive sins. And so he said, get up and walk. And the Bible says, look at this, verse seven, he got up and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to a man. What is going on here? It's, It's Jesus's authority. You notice the theme here. It's all about Jesus's jurisdiction and authority. And the big climax of this whole thing is at the end of chapter nine, At the end of chapter 9, verse 18, the Bible says that there is a, a man who has a daughter, and his daughter has passed away. She's died. And the Bible says that this man comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, my daughter's died. She's passed away. Is there anything you can do? And the Bible says that Jesus goes to her house, and there's a bunch of people that are mourning her death that are gathered there. And Jesus walks into that scenario, and the Bible says that he said to everyone, go away. This girl's not dead. She's asleep. And the Bible says that everyone laughed at him. They all laughed at him. <laughs> Come on, Gene. We all know a dead girl when we see one, okay? She's not alive. We checked her pulse, Jesus. But the Bible says that Jesus had the crowd put aside, and when he went in, he took the girl by the hand, and when he took her by the hand, she got up. Now, what is going on, man? Well, what you're seeing in this passage, I think, is it's showing us the jurisdiction and the authority of Jesus. What kind of authority does this guy have? The demons are begging him and they're scared of him. Death releases its hold when he walks in the room. With one touch, people are healed. He tells the wind and the waves to be quiet and they listen to him. And what's interesting is right in the middle of this whole narrative, Matthew poises a question and I think this is so strategic. I think it's strategically placed because I think this is the question that Matthew is inviting all of us to ask. And it's this one right here what kind of man is this? Who is this? What kind of guy is this that even the wind and the waves would obey him? I think Matthew is inviting us to come and see Jesus' authority, and then it causes us to ask this question, who is this that we're dealing with? What kind of person is Jesus for real? Think about it this way. So uh, earlier we were talking about undercover boss about that whole show. And I love that show, again, and the, the whole idea is you have the chief executive officer, the person with the most authority in the organization, and what do you see them doing? They go undercover, no one knows who they are, and then at the end of the show they reveal themselves and they give people promotions and they give people raises and they let people go, and why, why are they doing all of these things? Well, here's why. It's because they can because they have the authority to do it. They have, they have the authority. They have the rightful, actual, unimpeded power to act, possess, control, or dispose of something or someone within their corporation. They have jurisdiction. They have authority over that organization. And only they have the right to exercise that level of authority, right? So just for example, like how, how silly would it be if this afternoon, after services were done, if I went over to Home Depot, so I go to Home Depot, you know, here in Medina, and Home Depot, we all know Home Depot. Home Depot is like a national, big, I don't maybe even international, you know, big organization. And let's say that I walked in there and I started interacting with the employees, okay? And let's say I went up to one employee who I thought was doing a particularly good job. She was just going above and beyond and was really helpful and was really positive. And let's just say that I said to her, I was like, you know what, you're doing such a good job. In fact, you know, we, we kind of, we definitely want your type here at Home Depot. So effective immediately, we're doubling your salary. Done. Whatever you're making now, double it, right? And let's say that I went to another employee that was kind of, you know, slacking off and wasn't doing their job. And I went up and I said, hey, you, I don't really like your attitude. I don't really like the way that you're, you know, you're not interacting with the customers here. So you're, you're fired. Uh, pack up your stuff, clear out your locker. You're done. You're done here at Home Depot, right? Say so I said that to somebody. Let's say there was another group of employees and I went over and I said to them, I said, hey, you guys, um, I don't really like where the lumber department is. I actually want it on the other side of the store. And so why don't you guys go ahead and start moving that and I, I expect it to be done by next week. I want the whole lumber department over here. Just go ahead and swap departments. Right? So let's go ahead and get that done. Now, what is the question all of those employees are gonna ask me? Here's the question. Uh, who are you? All right, they're gonna say, what man is this? You know, They wouldn't say it that way. But they're like, who are you? And let's say that I just looked at him and I said, what do you mean, who am I? I'm Pastor Tony. <laughs> I am the Honorable Reverend LaVigny, all right, I, I am a pastor at the Medina East campus, okay? So let's, let's go ahead and get back to work, guys. What would they do? They would do exactly what you did. They would laugh at me, right? They would dismiss it as a joke or they'd dismiss me as crazy. Why? I don't have any authority to do that. I have no authority. Even if I said those things, that's not gonna actually change anything in real time. But listen, if it was undercover boss, if the CEO of Home Depot comes in there and he said those very same things and they said, who are you? And he said, uh, actually, I'm the CEO of this organization. You know what everyone would do? (sighs) Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Thank you, sir. We'll get right on it, sir. Why? Because he has authority. Because he has the authority to do those things. Now, what is Matthew inviting us to see? I think he's inviting us to come and see something about Jesus. Consider this. Who is this guy that when he walks into a room and touches someone with illness, it goes away? Who is this guy? Who is he? The one where with one word, He simply says something and demons are terrified. Demons shudder. Listen, you and I, we have nightmares about demons and devils. Demons and devils have nightmares about Jesus and Chuck Norris, right? (laughs) Chuck Norris has nightmares about Jesus. who is this guy that the demons are terrified of him and they listen to him and they have to ask his prayer. Who is this that when he walks out on the boat and tells the wind and the waves, be quiet, the wind and the waves says, yes, sir, I'm sorry, was I being too loud? Well, calm down. Who is this guy that says, I have the authority to forgive your sins? You think about that for a Just think about that. Think about the audacity of what Jesus just said. He says, you've sinned against God. I have the authority to tell you that you are forgiven. Who says, like, like, just think about the ramifications of that for a minute. Like, let's just say, for example, you were out in the cafe after service today and you were talking to Pastor Seth. And as you're talking to Pastor Seth, out of nowhere, he just hauls off and just smacks you across the face, right? So, so and some of you are like, why would Seth ever do that? You just don't know Seth. He does that kind of stuff all the time. I, um, I call him loose cannon, that's kind of, no. He would never do that, all right? But let's just say he just did that. He just hauled off and smacked you. And let's say that, you know, obviously you were offended and it hurt and all that kind of stuff. And let's say that I came over and I was like, oh, you guys, okay. And I was like, Seth, I forgive you. You'd be like, who are you to forgive? You weren't offended. You're not the offended party here, right? Who is Jesus to look at people who have sinned against God and say, I have the authority to tell you your sins are forgiven? What is he saying about himself, right? Who is this Jesus that when he walks into a room death releases its grip. Who is it? Who is this? And this is the question he's asking us to ask is who is this Jesus? I think what Matthew is trying to show us here is that this is the ultimate undercover boss story of all time. I think what he's trying to show us is that Jesus is in fact the CEO of the universe, that he has all authority over creation over good and evil, over disease. He has all authority over all things. And the question, again, that he's forcing us to ask is this question. Who is this? What kind of guy is this? What man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And this is the question I believe that every single one of us in this room need to answer for ourselves. I think Matthew wants to answer this for yourself. And here's the thing that I think is interesting is when you read this passage, what you find is that not everybody answers this question the same way. You know, you would think that Jesus doing these, all these amazing things that everyone would just bow down and worship him and claim that he has all authority in their lives. But that's actually not how everyone responds. People respond different. In fact, I'll show you. There's actually three different responses you see in this passage. One of the most common responses you see as people respond to Jesus' authority is many people doubt. Many people in this passage, you see them doubting Jesus. And so, for example, you see that when Jesus walks into the house of the dead girl, everyone laughs at him when he says that he's going to heal her. Why? Because they doubt, they doubt it. They don't believe he actually can. You see that the, 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 the disciples on the boat, they're terrified. Why are they terrified? The Bible says because they had little faith. They had little faith. And listen, this continues to be a response that many people have when they see the authority of Jesus. In fact, for some of you, maybe that's you today. Maybe even as we're reading these stories and you're looking at this, you're like, man, this is amazing and this is really neat and everything, but I just gotta be honest, I really struggle to believe this. This is hard to believe. And let me just tell you that if that's you, that is totally understandable because the stuff that Jesus did, no other human being on earth has ever done or claimed to do. And so it's a natural thing that you might be full of doubt when you read these type of things. And let me just say this too, that if you find yourself when you read this and you're in a position of doubt, I want you to understand that doubt is actually a very normal part of faith a very normal part of faith, and it's also how we grow. But this is what I would encourage you to do if you're in a situation of doubt, okay? In your doubt, please, please, please do not commit the mistake that many people do, and that's this. Many people, because of their doubt, they will choose to reduce Jesus down to simply being a good moral teacher, to simply being a social advocate for social justice, to simply dismiss the miraculous things of Jesus and say, you know what? Those are hard for me to understand. Those are hard for me to believe. So I'm going to take Jesus and I'm gonna custom make him into something that is palatable for me. So I'll take him as a good teacher. I'll take him as a Mother Teresa. I'll take him as a Gandhi. But this whole idea of him quiet in the wind and waves, I don't know if I can accept all that. And I'm just telling you, in your doubt, please don't do that. Because if you're gonna come and see Jesus and you're gonna come and see what these first century eyewitness guys said about him, you have to take him at his word. And what is he saying here? I don't think Matthew is saying, hey, Jesus was a really strong social advocate. I don't think that's what Matthew's saying. Now, Jesus was. But I think what he's saying is, no, 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 Jesus told the wind and waves to be quiet and they listened. And so you need to, if you doubt it, doubt it, but you need to wrestle with that. Wrestle with that. Some of us doubt. Some of us maybe, and in this passage we see this, Some resist. Some believe and see Jesus' authority, but yet they resist it in their lives. Why do they resist? I believe it's because they're threatened. It's actually really fascinating. I don't know if you noticed in this this whole section, after Jesus heals the demon-possessed guys, the Bible says that the whole town came out to see Jesus. And look what it says. It says, then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, now notice this, they pleaded with him to leave. They pleaded with Jesus. They said, please, can you you get out of here? Can you get out of our region? Isn't that interesting? These guys saw Jesus heal these two demon-possessed men that everyone was afraid of, and their first response was to come to, they didn't doubt his authority, but their first thought was to say, please go, please go. Why? My guess is they were probably threatened. My guess is they were probably used to a certain way of living, and they knew that if Jesus came in, that that meant that things were gonna have to change. And here's my guess here today this morning. My guess is that there maybe are some of you here today that you don't actually doubt the authority of Jesus. You don't actually doubt it. Some of you in this room today, my guess is that maybe you wouldn't admit it to your spouse, maybe you wouldn't admit it to your friend that brought you, but you actually somewhere inside of yourself intrinsically believe that Jesus has this kind of power and has this kind of authority. But quite honestly, you are skeptical and resistant to giving Jesus his authority in your life. And I think the reason for that is maybe for you, you feel threatened. Maybe you know that if you give Jesus this kind of authority in your life, that that means that there's gonna be some stuff that's gonna to have to change. You know that Jesus is gonna to wanna to reorder some stuff. And so Jesus is gonna to wanna to reorder your priorities and he's gonna to wanna to reorder your finance, financial life and your sex life. And he's gonna to wanna to reorient your relationships. And quite honestly, for some of you, honestly, you just don't wanna change. You believe us about Jesus, but you don't wanna change. And so you resist. Some of you know, that if you allow Jesus to have authority in your life, that he's going to dispose of certain things in your life. He wants to dispose of the hurtful, harmful, addictive tendencies that you have. He wants to release you from those things. He wants to release you from the the patterns of behavior that you are in that are harming you and are harming others. He wants to release you from the cold, hard heart of bitterness and unforgiveness and soften your heart. And he has the power to do it, but for some of us, we don't want him to because we don't wanna change. We don't actually wanna change. I'll tell you one of the most compelling things about Jesus to me. One of the most compelling things about Jesus is every time someone asks him to leave, do you know what he does? He leaves, he leaves. Because here's one of the most powerful things about Jesus, he has all this authority, but he is not going to push himself on you. He gives you an opportunity to respond to it. And that leads me to the last one. So we we can doubt, we can resist, and then in this passage we see the third response is that some people embrace it. They embrace Jesus' authority and they allow it in their lives. And what's interesting in this passage is that everyone who embraces Jesus' authority, we see, they're liberated. They're liberated. Liberated from what? Liberated from evil, liberated from sin, liberated from death. Everyone who falls under the authority of Jesus finds himself in a position where they are ultimately liberated. Liberated. And so here's what we gotta think through. We all, every single one of us in this room, we all give authority to something in our lives. But the question we have to ask is, is the thing that we're letting have authority in our life, is it worthy and qualified to have authority? And I think what Matthew is saying is, if Jesus is the guy that tells the wind and the waves to be quiet, and he is the guy who has power over death, this is not the kind of person you make your personal assistant. This is the one that you join the wind and waves and you worship him. So here's what we're gonna do. Ask the band to come up. And as the band makes their way up, I just wanna leave you with this question. I just wanna leave you with this. I think that Matthew wants to invite you to come and see Jesus's authority. And you have to answer this question for yourself. No matter where you are in your faith journey, this is the question I think that Matthew wants you to ask. What kind of man is this? Who is Jesus? Is this true about him? And will you doubt his authority? Will you resist his authority? Or will you embrace it and be liberated? And so I wanna give you some space. I actually asked the band if they would just take a moment and play. And as they do it, I want you to interact with God. Maybe for some of you, pray to God for the first time. How would you answer this question? And depending on how you answer this question, what are the implications of that in your life? Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just want us to thank you for this passage and thank you for each and every person who's here today. And Father, it's clear to see in this passage that what is being said about you is what you declared about yourself in Matthew 28 when you said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so Jesus, I pray that you would help us today to answer this question, to really process through and think through and and not leave this question unanswered. What kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves would listen to him. Help us think through that, our answer, and help us to think through the implications of what that means in our life today. we pray these things in Jesus' name.